So the scripture this morning is James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's word. It says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord... Excuse me. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming... See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The word of the Lord. Well, I think the uh, issue of patience is probably one that we all need help with at times. Um, James is talking about um, patience in the face of suffering. Um, The New Testament church dealt with a lot of persecution, and and, uh, they went through some really difficult times, and it's like, Lord, when you're going to come and deliver us from this, this tough stuff that we're dealing with. And James is saying we need to be patient. We need to be patient. The Lord's coming is near. How many, how long ago was that? <laughs> but we need to remember that to the Lord, a, thousand, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is, is a day. So God's timing and perspective of time is much different than ours, right? Yeah. Right? And we have to understand, too, that sometimes the Lord's coming may not necessarily be Jesus returning in a cloud of glory. Uh, some of us, the God's coming is nearer to us than it might be for some younger people out there just because of our age, right? Um, and so whether he comes for us in the sense of re- the second coming or he comes for us in the sense of we go to meet him, when our earthly life is over, Jesus' coming really is near in some aspect. And isn't it interesting, um, James is addressing the church here. Um, again, we know uh, some of the trials, uh, persecution that they, they dealt with. This, the way, this thing about Jesus um, was rejected by the pagan world. It was rejected by uh, the Jews. And uh, these people deal with a variety of things in their lives that were really, really difficult. And so James is addressing this whole issue of patience in the face of suffering. Isn't it just interesting what we consider suffering sometimes? Probably really not much to do with what these people were dealing with. Um. And I don't know, I think 
we live in such a past, fast-paced world um, that it, it, we find it difficult sometimes to be patient because we expect things to happen pretty quickly. Yeah, we want it now, or we want it, in fact, five minutes ago. Um, and we pray, God, give me patience, but please do it quickly. Right? That's kind of, you know, and we're, we're used to, again, things happening. We have fast food. We have quick print shops. We have faster and faster computers. We have express oil changes. We have express ways to drive on. We have we have instant cocoa, instant coffee, microwaves, overnight delivery, express mail, instant messenger, and on and on it goes. We eat fast food and then we want a fast diet plan to get rid of the weight we gain when we eat fast food. And patience is often required in our lives, isn't it? When those things don't happen as fastly as we want them to. A man and his wife were awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning by a loud pounding on their door. So the man gets up and goes to the door where a drunken stranger in the pouring rain is asking for a push. Not a chance, says the man. It's three o'clock in the morning. He slams the door and returns to bed. Who was it, asked his wife. Just a drunken stranger asking for a push, he answered. Did you help him, she asked. No, I didn't. It's three in the morning and it's raining out. Well, you've got a short memory says his wife. Can't you remember about three months ago when we broke down on vacation and those two guys helped us? I think you should help him. The man has an attack of conscience. So he gets dressed and goes out into the pouring rain and calls out into the dark. Hello, are you still there? Yes, comes the answer. Do you want to push? Still want to push? Asks the husband. Yes, please, comes the reply from the dark. Where are you? asked the husband. Over here on the swing, sensed the drunk man. <laughs> so, what tests your patience? <laughs> Check out lines at the store. I tell my wife I'm the world's worst line chooser. Have you ever felt that way? You stand by the person in the bank, just one person in line, and find out that they've got 10,000 pennies to count? How about road construction? Stop. One lane, stop. And there's 411 cars coming the other way. Or computer glitches. Why are you laughing, Bernice? She hears me in the office back there. <laughs> Telemarketer calls at dinner time. Denver traffic jams. Slow service at a restaurant. Oh, the trials of life that we deal with. Has to be very close to what the people James was writing to or dealing with, right? Probably not. You know, it's easy to lose patience with these kinds of things. But James is talking to people 
who are losing patience in times of great trial. You've read through the Psalms, I hope. How often does the psalmist say, Oh God, when are you going to show up? And that's, I think, the question that the people that James is writing to are asking. Oh God, when are you going to show up and get us out of this mess that we're in? This is tough. And you know, I, here we are in the day we live in, and we have a tendency to whine and complain over inconveniences and slights and minor afflictions. <laughs> God, don't we do that sometimes? How come I have to go through this? So, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? At least I've, I've asked my, myself this question. What will we do when we have to stand firm in the face of persecution and actual physical suffering because we're Christ followers. Because that's what these people were dealing with. And patience is something we all need, and all the people said. But most of us dislike the process required to develop it. Yeah. Because developing patience puts us in, in circumstances where we need patience, doesn't it? Yeah, don't pray for patience, yeah. So, James says, let patience do its work. And he encourages us to have patience. James' opening words are a reminder of what the Scripture teaches elsewhere. Now, list, uh, excuse me, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And that's not the first time that's talked about in the Scriptures. In fact, patience is talked about in the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it talks about love, it says love is patient. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient. That's the first thing. And then love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love is patient. Okay? And we're supposed to love. We're supposed to be people of love. Christ's love is supposed to fill our lives. So, love is patient. In, in Proverbs 14.29 it says, A patient man or woman has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. So there's patience as compared to being quick-tempered, reacting to that thing that requires patience. I'm glad Julie sits quietly through these services sometimes because... Psalm 37, verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. That's tough, isn't it? God, the bad guys are winning. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and this is from the King James Version. Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about, excuse me, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us, 
and let us run with patience the race that is set out before us. The whole journey with Jesus requires patience. For years, William Wilberforce pushed Britain's parliament to abolish slavery. Discouraged, he was about to give up. His elderly friend John Wesley heard of it and from his deathbed called for pen and paper. With trembling hand, Wesley wrote, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. So he's saying, you need to be sure this is what God has called you to. Because if it isn't, you're going to be whipped. But if, but if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. Be patient. Keep working, William. Wesley died six days later, but Wilberforce fought for 45 more years. And in 1833, three days before his own death, he saw slavery abolished in Britain. What if he had given up? And so, James goes on and he uses this illustration of a farmer. Patience understands that even though the seed is in the ground, it takes time for the plant to grow and a harvest to be produced. Jesus, excuse me, James uses the farmer to illustrate the necessity and reward of patience. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? When the farmer goes out in the early fall, as they did in Israel in that day, to plant his seeds, he knows that he's going to have a long wait before he will get to see the fruit of his labor. He begins by tilling the ground, then he plants the seed, then he prays for rain. In the climate of Israel, there were two rainy seasons. The fall, the rains that came in October and early November, and the spring rains, which came in April and May. The early rains were essential for the germination of the seed, and the late rains were critical for the maturation of the crop. Now, we know that the farmer doesn't actually have to wait all that long to see something pop through the ground. That will happen in a relatively short period of time. But what if the farmer went out and tried to harvest that as soon as it popped through the ground? Would he have anything worth eating or selling? Yeah, he would not. What he wants is for the seed to sprout into a plant, and then he wants the plant to reach maturity. He doesn't want a weak seedling. He wants a strong, mature crop, and that takes time. It takes patience. You have to wait. He has to wait until the process is complete. If he harvests the crop too early, then he will ruin it. 
The farmer must be patient. When he was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality, and he had to work to help support them. At age nine, his mother died. At age 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. He wanted to go to law school, but his education wasn't good enough. At 23, he went into debt to become a partner in a small store. At 26, his business partner died, leaving him with a huge debt that took years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked, him, he asked her to marry him. She said no. At 37, on his third try, he was elected to Congress, but two years later, he failed to be reelected. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he failed as a vice presidential candidate. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost. At 51, he was elected president of the United States. His name was Abraham Lincoln. A young woman was expecting her date. She was dressed up and waiting patiently. However, by the time he was an hour late, she figured she'd been stood up. So she took off her makeup, put on her pajamas, gathered all the junk food in the house, and sat down to watch TV with her dog. As her favorite show was just coming on, the doorbell rang. It was her date. He stared at her wide-eyed. I'm two hours late and you're still not ready? <laughs> I don't know if she should have been more patient or not. Here's the point, though. Just like the farmer, every believer is to be patient and stand firm because in some way or another, whether it's from our perspective, because of our age, or because of God's perspective where time is not the thing it is to us, the Lord's coming is near. And listen, we were talking about a little bit in Sunday school this morning. When you look at the things that are going on in our world, you have to say, Jesus' coming has to be right around the corner. Now, I don't know if that's a one-month corner or a ten-year corner or a hundred-year corner. But the Lord's coming is near, and we need to live that way, and we need to be patient. The Lord's return should stimulate every believer to patience and persistence. Right? Be patient, but keep on working. So, James gives us a couple of patient do's and don'ts. He says, first of all, do stand firm. Do stand firm. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So no matter what happens, keep pressing on. Stand firm. 1 Peter 5, 9. Speaking of the devil, it says to resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. What news? Have you ever 
So have it ever kind of been this situation where you felt like, I'm the only person in the world who's ever had to deal with this? <laughs> no. Others are dealing with it too. So stand firm. Do not retreat spiritually. So how do we do that? How do we not retreat spiritually? Well, well, Paul tells us that pretty clearly in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 and 11, he says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His, and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then jumping down to verse 13, he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, there's that, that phrase again, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's how you stand firm. Not in your own strength. Listen, every one of those pieces of armor really refer to Jesus Christ. It's Christ in us. We were watching in our men's Bible study the other night with Ray Vanderlaan. He said, you know, some Christians are streakers. They put on the helmet of salvation and that's all they take. They forget the rest of the armor, so they're basically running around naked. You can't stand firm if you don't have on the full armor. So do stand firm. That's the do of patience. The don't is this. Don't grumble against each other. Don't grumble against each other. One of the marks of impatience is to grumble and complain. By the way, God does not like grumbling. Did you know that? He doesn't like grumbling and complaining. Go back and read about the people when they came out of Egypt and the time they spent in the desert and some of the whining and complaining and grumbling they did and what God had to say about that. He was not pleased. He's still not pleased when we grumble. We probably should re-show the pictures of those children getting those boxes again. That'd help us to put our lives in better perspective, wouldn't it? And we remind us that we have nothing to grumble and complain about. A man's car stalled in heavy traffic as the light turned green. Boy, that's a bummer when that happens. All of of his efforts to start the engine failed in a chorus of honking behind him made matters worse. You can just see that scene, can't you? He finally got out of his car and walked back to the first driver and said, I'm sorry, but I can't seem to get my car started. I'll tell you what, if you go up there and give it a try, I'll stay back here and lean on the horn for you. You'd be tempted to do that, wouldn't you? Uh, I, um, my uncle Ted is six foot five. He had a uh, 
a red convertible Chevrolet Impala. Um, my dad's people are all from Florida. And I don't know, something happened and, um, you know, he got caught at a light and didn't get through. And the guy behind him was upset and honking the horn and finally jumped out and came running up. And my Uncle Ted liked to slouch down when he drove. So when he got up and stood out of the car, the guy ran back to his car and got right in. I don't want to get on. <laughs> don't grumble against each other. You know, I uh, when I don't want to just spend all my time on driving stuff. But listen, when I'm going somewhere where I don't know my way, and I'm looking for a street, I want people behind me to be patient. You know, sometimes I forget that when I'm behind the person that's looking for the street. Hmm. That's kind of a grumbling, impatient thing, isn't it? Oh, move it! So, why is it important to stand firm and not to grumble and complain? Well, first of all, James says the Lord's coming is near. And the second thing he said is the judge is standing at the door. And he's really speaking about the same thing here, because when Christ returns, he will return as judge. Someone has said, his return is at hand. It has been so from the day of the apostles. James was not mistaken, even though he lived over a thousand years ago. The return of the Lord was then at hand. The return of the Lord is now at hand. We live in the last days, the days of the imminent return. The pressure upon us of that return is not to promote curiosity as to the date and circumstances, although we spend a lot of time doing that, it seems, but to promote the life of holiness and fruitfulness so that we may be ready to meet the Lord when he does return. Barclay says the dynamic of this new life is the expectation of the coming of Jesus Christ, When a royal visit is expected, everything is cleansed and decorated and made fit for the royal to see. The Christian is the man who is always prepared for the coming of the King of Kings. What a great perspective. Queen Victoria was much loved. She made unexpected calls on the farm folks who lived in cottages. Any day might be a royal day and the Scots had a chair prepared for her visit. Their houses were kept spotless. They were a clean and wholesome people, but her announced visits added to the joy of keeping their homes lovely. The old people who remembered her visits in their youth charmed visitors by the expression used in the residences residences of Deeside, wherever that is. They would say, perhaps today she'll come my way. Waiting for the queen to show up. We're waiting for the king to show up. Someone wrote this little poem. Perhaps today the clouds will part asunder. Reveal a glory brighter than the sun. And then we shall view with transport, joy, and wonder the hope of earth and heaven's beloved one. Are we patient for his coming and are we expecting it? 
And so James talks about examples of patience. The prophets in Job provided models of patient perseverance. And if you've read anything about the prophets or any of the prophets and you've read about Job, you know that they are wonderful examples of patience. I read the book of Ezekiel and I say, man, I can't believe God asked that guy to do that stuff. Some of the things that God required his prophets to do. Boy, did they have to be patient because a lot of times their messages fell on deaf ears. Sometimes messages still fall on deaf ears. That's why Bob was laughing. (laughs) But they were, they just, they talk about persistence and staying at it. And so God uses these, excuse me, James uses Job and the prophets because they were people who had suffered and he was writing to a suffering church. The writer of the book of Hebrews gives examples of people who were patient in the face of suffering. Chapter 11, and this is verse 32 and then verses 37 through 39. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They were patient to the end. And Job lost possessions. He lost his children. He lost his health. He was harassed by his wife. He was accused by his friends. But he hung in there, didn't he? He never cursed God. Well, he questioned, he struggled, sometimes he wished he was dead. But he never cursed God. He persevered. He was patient through his trials, and so can we be. Because God does great work under pressure, our pressure. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12 We're encouraged by Paul, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 it says, For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also Christ, through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. God doesn't waste that stuff in our lives. That's what Paul's telling us. And what we've been through and endured, we can help somebody else go through and endure because we've been there. Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. 
joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We're encouraged so often to be patient. You know, have you noticed that some people just will not be stopped? They've accomplished much despite adversity. They refuse to listen to their fears. Nothing anyone says or does holds them back. Ted Engstrom, in his book, Pursuit of Excellence, cites these examples. Cripple him and you have Sir Walter Scott. Lock him in a prison cell and you have John Bunyan. Bury him in the snows of Valley Forge and you have George Washington. Raise him in abject poverty and you have Abraham Lincoln. Strike him down with infantile paralysis and you have Franklin Roosevelt. Burn him so severely that doctors say he'll never walk again and you have Glenn Cunningham. Do you know who Glenn Cunningham was? He was the first man to run a sub four minute mile. Deafen him and you have Ludwig von Beethoven. Have him or her born in black society filled with racial discrimination and you have Booker T. Washington, Marian Anderson, George Washington Carver. Call him a slow learner, retarded, and write him off as uneducable and you have Albert Einstein. Patience. Endurance. And folks, our encouragement in these things and the things that we endure and the things we have to face comes from knowing that God is full of compassion and mercy. God is not out to make you and I miserable. Listen. Misery is not the purpose behind the things you suffer. God doesn't take us through those things just to make us miserable. He has a purpose behind the things we go through. And it's for our good. And the idea is kind of like, um, uh, you know, I used to reload um, ammunition. And you can take these tarnished brass and throw it in a tumbler. And it goes through this process coming out. It's bright and shiny and clean. And sometimes that's what God takes when He takes us through this process of suffering, He's wearing the tarnish off. He's taking the edges off. He wants us to come out bright, shiny, and clean and reflecting Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, if God was in the business of making people miserable, He has, to make, he has the power to make us more miserable than we could imagine. No, he has something higher in mind. Dr. Glenn Olds, former president of Kent State, Uni- Kent State University, recalled the sight of Mount Rushmore as he hitchhiked across country in 1941 during his junior year in college. From ten miles back, he recognized Washington and Lincoln, but in the middle was a figure that looked like, that, looked like Adolf Hitler. Once close... Instead of hair combed over a forehead, the young man saw guy wires. Instead of a mustache, he saw scaffolding. The image stuck and he made a note in his journal. 
What was Adolf Hitler at 10 miles away was Thomas Jefferson under construction. (laughs) The experience became a parable. Almost every major problem at a distance looks bad. When you get up close, you can see it's something terribly important under construction. So don't quit. Don't quit. Be patient. Don't quit. In June of 1955, Winston Churchill was near the end of his life. And he was asked to deliver the commencement address at a university in Britain. Mr. Churchill was so weak at the time that he had to be helped to the podium. Once he was there, he stood with both of his hands clinging to the podium and his head down for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, he lifted his head. And the voice that years before had called Britain back from the brink of destruction spoke publicly for the last time. Though he only spoke nine words, they still ring in the memory of those who heard them. This is what he said. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Good advice for Christ's followers. And why? Because in Psalm 103, verse 8, it tells us, Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's His purpose. That's His design for us. We may go through tough times, but God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. Listen, He is patient with us, not wanting any to perish. God has a purpose for these things that He takes us through. So be patient. Don't give up. And you know these little niggly things like road construction and Denver traffic and long waits at Walmart? That's just practice for the tougher stuff. Be patient. Father, thank you for the instruction of your word to our lives and right where we live. And I do suppose that we all need help in the area of patience. Maybe some of us in one area and others of us in another area. And help us not to get discouraged when we go through those times of suffering that come our way. In fact, your word tells us that when we suffer in the name of Jesus, the Lord God, we are blessed because of that. It's, it's a privilege. It's, it's an honor. I, I think of the, of the military chaplain that, that was court-martialed because he'd mentioned the name of Jesus outside of the chapel. And he wept. Not because his rank was lost and his, his military retirement was lost, but he wept for joy because he had the privilege of suffering for Jesus Christ. Oh God, may we, in the midst of the things we face in our lives, and we really have it pretty easy, but we don't know how long that'll last. We see it increasing in the country where we live, the standards of the book, your commandments, your precepts, your instruction to us, Lord God, is 
it's cast aside, it's, it's considered archaic, it's, it's narrow-minded, it's mean-spirited, and yet, Lord, this is, this is the guide for our lives. And when we stand for it, when we stand on the truth of it, we're resisted. And Lord God, we don't know what that's going to mean down the road. Oh, but may we be patient. May we be persistent. May we understand that the Lord's coming is near, whatever that may mean for us. May we be like that farmer that James talked about. Who knows that there's a crop coming. A harvest that will be yielded. It's not here yet, but we're willing to wait for it. We're willing to be patient. We're willing to endure. That's what God's people do. And Lord God, we know that You won't leave us alone to do that. We know that the, one of the, the fruit that Your Holy Spirit produces in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You will not leave us alone. And we give praise for that. Again, thank you for the way your Holy Spirit works in our lives. Remind us of these things the next time we face that thing that requires patience and persistence in our lives. Maybe it's required right now. But we know you're there for us. We know you work in us and through us. We, can know, we know that we can be the people that live the way you've called us to live because you won't leave us alone. And we give you thanks and praise for that and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.